Hi everybody, welcome to FNS Wrestling Podcast, episode 162. It's going to be a little bit of a different episode this week. If you are a regular listener, you might remember that my co-host and teenage son, Jack, who's usually here at this point, is off at Fan Expo, I believe it's called, in Toronto with three of his buddies. Um, They've been sort of going down every day, hanging out in the city, coming home, staying at a different kid's house each night, so... We had Jack and his friends here on the Wednesday night as I sit and record this on Saturday morning. So I did get him to discuss AEW Dynamite with me on Wednesday night. So if you miss Jack, he will appear for the AEW segment, but he won't be here for anything else this week. But we'll be back to normal next week. If you are a new listener, welcome. Uh, I did put out for the first time, Jack and I put out video of us recording, and that seemed to go pretty well on YouTube, so thanks to anyone that checked that out. If you'd like to see what we look like, what our, as we call our palatial, what is it, expansive penthouse studio, um, because it's exactly not that, but that's now documented on camera. So I think because it was the first episode of our The Good Gold Days, where we go back and look at some um, retro NXT that we enjoyed, I think we'll probably keep that in video format. Not sure if the flagship show that you're listening to right now will evolve to video or not. It was a tough, tough sledding to get Jack to be willing to to put his face on camera, but um, I think it turned out okay. Let me know if you have any feedback if you did watch it, um, because it was my first time sort of dabbling in putting video and audio together separately. So that was fun, but I enjoy learning new stuff like that. So basically... Um, You won't hear Jack. We won't have what will be different this week. We will have um, our AEW Dynamite review as pretty much normal, a little bit different because we kind of did it a bit quickly and I sort of summarized the matches and stuff instead of Jack, but that'll feel pretty similar. We won't have the trivia off the top of his head this week. We did not get around to recording. Then I'll do my high spots and rest holds as I usually do. It just won't have Jack contributing anything from WWE main roster this week. Uh, And then obviously there won't be anything from figuring it out. However, I can guarantee you that next week figuring it out will be at least partly Jack discussing what collectibles he got from um, Fan Expo because he has come home with a couple, at least a couple things every day that uh, many of them are wrestling related, some Star Wars and other, but uh, a lot of wrestling related stuff. So I'm sure he'll want to discuss um, what he found at Fan Expo while he was there. I can't really think of anything else I really need to discuss. Um, So I guess we'll get into the show where it's just me right now, and I will be discussing some of the week's wrestling news and rumors. So to start as we do with the ratings, we have uh, this week's NXT averaged 720,000 viewers up 5.9%, earned a 0.19 in the key demographic, same as last week. So fourth best viewership of 2023. Again, really solid numbers for NXT since they have been sort of incorporating people from the main roster onto the show. So that uh, above 700,000 number that I've sort of earmarked as success for them, they are staying above that. This week's episode of AEW Dynamite, which was branded as Fighter Fest and also serving as the go-home episode for All In, that averaged 870,000 viewers, almost the same as last week, down 0.5%, less than a percent. Earned a 0.32 in the key demographic, same as last week. So not to spoil our thoughts, but a much better episode this week, yet the ratings basically stayed exactly the same. 
So I only have, a, I think, three news stories I'm going to cover. Two of them are on the sad end, as I'm sure you may have heard by now. A couple of deaths in the wrestling world. First is wrestling legend Terry Funk, who passes away at 79 years old. I'm not going to get into any retrospectives or anything. Lots of other podcasts and, and places, outlets will do that. But just for me personally, I um, seriously underestimated Terry Funk and started to go back and watch some of uh, his things before WWE and all of that, sort of prime Terry Funk. The guy was fantastic. If you haven't really checked out much Terry Funk in his prime, this would be a great time to do it. Um, he could really do everything. I know he gets a ton of credit for being the hardcore legend, et cetera, et cetera, but there is way more to Terry Funk than that. Um, in-ring performer, on the mic, all of it, just a fantastic performer. I've really, in the last couple years, um, come to realize what an asset he was to professional wrestling. Just a fantastic talent. And if you're somebody, I think my thing was because when I was actually watching wrestling, it was, hey, it's Terry Funk as Chainsaw Charlie, right? So that if that's your frame of reference for Terry Funk, you really need to do yourself a favor and go back and look at some prime Terry Funk. He was fantastic. So obviously uh, the wrestling world mourns that. Condolences um, all around for that one. And then the second, obviously, this one just happened recently. Um, Bray Wyatt has passed away at 36 years old. Um, it was announced by Triple H on Twitter. He had gotten the information from Mike Rotunda, um, Bray Wyatt's father, obviously. And uh, still undisclosed what the illness was or what the cause of death was. But a 36-year-old man. Um, and so the relationship... This is, it's funny, Bray Wyatt is one of the few characters, um, especially when it got into The Fiend, that Jack and I disagree on, right? Obviously, we share similar tastes. We watch wrestling together. We talk about it together. We are related. He is my son. So we agree on the vast majority of things. But he really, really loved the original, in the beginning, in the infancy, The Fiend, and that whole character really caught, captured Jack's imagination, and he really, really loved it. He didn't love where it went and what ended up happening with it. But he really, really connected with The Fiend and just loved that character. I was more of a Bray Wyatt fan back in NXT when he was doing The Wyatt Family, when he was doing sort of loosely based on um, De Niro in Cape Fear. Thought he was a really good talent. Um, I was not a fan of The Fiend and, and that character as... I mean, it's again, started out a lot more interesting than it ended up. But nonetheless, a talented performer, far too young to pass away. Um, pretty pretty rough week in the world of professional wrestling. So I know it's it's too bad Jack's not here to talk about Bray Wyatt, and maybe he'll do that next week because he was a big fan of Bray Wyatt. Um, he will be missed. So a couple deaths to mourn in the world of wrestling. No easy transition from that discussion. The only other real thing I wanted to discuss before we get into AEW Dynamite is I'll be talking about on NXT. They've announced an NXT Global Heritage Invitational Tournament. Um, so after NXT was finished, they sort of released what this tournament will look like. So the easiest summary for me is to say it feels like a mini G1, um, but strange because it is a heritage tournament, but they are not following Heritage Cup rules for these matches. So I thought that was strange, but I'm still interested. So basically... There'll be two groups of four wrestlers. Uh, so yeah, four in each group, obviously. And that's a round robin style format. So they will face each other. 
Each match will have a 12-minute time limit, so again, not Heritage Cup rules, which I think is an interesting decision. Pinfall and submission victories are worth two points. A draw will earn a wrestler one point. And then the winner of Group A faces the winner of Group B on September 26th, with the winner of that match going on to challenge Noam Dar for the Heritage Cup on September 30th at NXT No Mercy. So the tournament officially begins on NXT next Tuesday, so I'll be talking about that next week in my high spots and rest holds probably. And the participants are set to be announced on social media accounts, so I won't know until Jack tells me because I don't do social media and he does, but those will be announced throughout the week. So yeah, feels like a mini G1. I'm pretty into it. You know I love tournaments. I don't really, I wish they were doing the Heritage Cup rules, but I understand they're trying to keep it a bit quicker to 12 minutes. I'm curious to see who will be in this. I'm hoping it's interesting talent that I want to see in matches because like I said, I do enjoy a good tournament. So that's really only the big news I got because Jack wasn't here to help me pull a bunch of news. So sort of a light week for news this week. But now we will move into the only section where you will hear Jack's voice. We recorded it Wednesday as we were kind of immediately finished Dynamite. So it's kind of a different, it's our immediate thoughts on it with no time to really reflect. So I don't know if that's more interesting, less interesting. You guys can let me know. But anyways, it is what it is. And it is our review of this Wednesday's episode of AEW Dynamite. All right, so the opening match ended up kind of not being a match, right? It was um, a non-match. The bell never rang, and the referee got taken out. Yeah, it was a fine opening angle, though. I thought it was fun, yeah. I guess you should explain who was in it in case people didn't know. Uh, Well, aren't you going to... Oh, well... Just talk about it. We're doing this in a different format, obviously. Weird. Um, Yeah, well, it was supposed to be Elite versus Bullet Club Gold, but... Right. Which was minus Jay White and minus Hangman, but obviously no match, and then... Yeah, Bullet Club attacked before the bell. Brawling, yeah. brawling, brawling. Jay White's involved. Ref gets taken out. Mm-hmm. Chaos ensues. Uh, we end up with. I was there, but he didn't, he got taken out by Omega almost or something. Yeah, so we end up with it one on one. Takeshita and Omega facing off right after everything else kind of happened. So some offense happened, some wrestling move type stuff happened along the way here, but it was none of it sanctioned. They told us like halfway through it, it was. Yeah, well, Juice Robinson literally decked Rick Knox. So. <laughs> right. And uh, they told us, what did they say? It was a... Uh, no contest. No contest, right? So, yeah, I guess the big moment was supposed to be Takeshita sharing the ring with Omega. Because uh, we got to get that match, I would assume. Uh, right, and I, I really like want that. Omega White, though, Because he, well. he escaped the one-winged angel, right? So they'll build up, like, that that's kind of a yeah. big deal if, mm-hmm. that, if that does end up happening. So I thought that was good Indeed. that um, Takeshita ended up sharing the spotlight with Omega because we've been wanting Takeshita to get elevated, right? Yeah. So, I think this helped. So. Yeah, hopefully he gets a big solo outing and he can get elevated some more. But yeah, it was a fun, like, a lot of action in this opening segment, despite it not being a match. I don't think it really needed to be. So good energy to start the show, I thought you. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. All right. So Renee sits down with MJF and he's, like, comparing himself to British Bulldog, throwing in as Hulk many. Hulk Hogan. I want you to mention him. That's coming up for sure. Uh, any working in any like British thing he can, right? Including saying like if he wins, he'll buy every hooligan in the stadium a pint, which he'll charge a ton of con. So Renee brings up wrestling on both shows or twice on one show, and it's pressure, 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 most pressure of his life. And then yeah, he starts talking about like the previous wrestlers that paved the road, so Hogan and San Martino, and I don't know who else he said. Um, I don't remember. But uh, and then they she Renee show runs highlights of like their match together. 
and then like all of the teases of tension between he yeah. and Cole in this kind build. of all the cracks or whatever and yeah so he just talks about he tries to get real and like this is not i'm not working the fans this is my first real friend or whatever and we're more than that we're brothers and i'm vulnerable and we should all be vulnerable and he's our scumbag sort mm -hmm. of thing right so um what did you think i thought it was interesting because they had a red light behind him the whole time nice so what does that mean he's I a heel red's bad so could be and and at this at the same time like what i was thinking of as he's like talking about all these legends and stuff like yes it sounded really baby face but at the end of the day all he's comparing himself to he's like, like i'm better than them I'm, yeah i'm headlining the biggest he's putting show. himself in that category right. right yeah i feel like it's i don't know with the red light i feel like that's kind of a subtle um subtext like for i feel like he will turn heel yeah or he's still a heel I feel like it's somebody's got definitely to. all work, right? He's still he's working everyone, and I think so. I I re I liked it though. I thought it was pretty good, and it was pretty straightforward. But I liked, I, don't know, I liked it. Yeah, I thought it was fine too. And it's just like somebody's turning on somebody, and we still don't really I think, know. I think it'll be because they've both teased. It seems to make more sense. He's the like super mega heel, right? But, yeah. Um, I guess we will find out. But yeah, I thought it was a pretty solid promo. To I guess it's the go home show, right? So mm -hmm. a decent job by MJF there. So next, ahead of the Stadium Stampede match, right, we get uh, Phoenix taking on Moxley. And this one started it really quickly. And right near the beginning, we get two suicide dives from uh, Phoenix, right, to Moxley on the ramp. Then somehow out on the ramp, Moxley ends up ripping open uh, Phoenix's mask. He hits, that happens every other he, match. He does. Super heels. As that's, well with uh, Moxley bleeding. Do. So this is like the off one where... He didn't bleed. Yes, mask, no blood. Right. Uh, he Mox hits a curb stomp on the floor, runs Phoenix into the barricades a couple times. There's a nice little sequence where they both end up running the ring or running the ropes, and Phoenix like changed direction or whatever, but ended up getting run over by a Mox clothesline. It looked good. Um, the pile driver from Moxley looked that pile driver was pretty sweet, yeah. And from the camera angle, like you can actually see Phoenix's head touch the mat, right? It looked awesome. Yeah, and he stuck up pretty good. He did. Um, we get a rolling cutter by Phoenix. The crowd is really into this match at this point. He hits his like spinning heel kick out of the rope sort of thing and a mm -hmm. frog splash for a near fall. Then the frog splash I thought had a good impact to it. It did. It looked good. There Later on, there's a kneeling strike exchange. They both sort of sit up quickly and cause it's been a pretty brutal match to that point. So they're striking each other while kind of sitting on the mat. Both end up top uh, kind of battling on the ropes and Mox bites Phoenix's face. Hits an avalanche death rider. Uh, somehow Phoenix, I thought it was over, right? Phoenix kicks out of that. Crowd goes nuts, but it's that, rear. That was really cool, but I was, yeah, I was surprised that they, like, he was still going. Straight into a choke from Moxley. Phoenix fights it for a little bit, but ends up uh, passing out. Blackpool come in and attack Phoenix. I think, did Claudio have his crowbar, like, in Phoenix's mouth or his mask I think or so, something? Yeah. Um, and then go ahead, because this was something we've been waiting for for a long time. So not only. Been over Did it a happen year. and they're still together, but they're also in a form that we're going to enjoy. So go heels. ahead. Yeah. Um. So Blackpool beat the tar to Phoenix to write him off because he's can't travel. He you can't travel right now or something like that. Right. And then um, Kingston and Penta came out to help, but Ortiz cut him off and he was swinging the mad ball around. Yes. Uh, and then Santana finally returned. And, and they, they kind of made his return the big deal, right? His yeah. was the music, and we didn't. And then he came out. So yeah, I thought that was awesome. And then they. I think he whipped or Ortiz whipped Pent in the head with the mad he ball, did. which it looked, looked pretty like funny, because uh, the the mad ball's absurd. Uh, but yeah, they 
by her back and then best friends chased him off with chairs but that was really cool i thought and i it was also cool because after santana was gone ortiz and eddie were kind of running for a while but then there was supposed to beef with ortiz and santana right right and there was then there's storyline beef with Kingston and Ortiz and then they were fighting a lot so yeah. I think it, this actually does kind of make sense storyline wise I'm just we we're really big fans of them and especially Santana so he they were saying he's been gone a year right so over a year yeah that's pretty awesome um, to have him back really and their first match back will be in Wembley and that's, in heel form which we prefer I as well I prefer them as heels yeah street sweeper time nice. oh yeah I need a good street sweeper so just oh, I forgot that's one of my favorite tag finishers they are probably. an awesome tag team and, and they're so good sorry I didn't even say but I thought this match was an awesome match was really team. good yeah. really really good nice TV, TV match, match. Yeah. um non-stop action crowd really into it got a bunch of time some uh, notables nice great notables. great contrast in styles right you have yeah. the brawling vicious moxley and the luchador flying around so i thought a, a really good tv match sometimes mm-hmm. you sometimes you can forget how freaking good phoenix is right like yeah. he's awesome so mm-hmm. i got spoiled on this before we came down to watch and i yeah. was like i want, I want to watch it. Well, uh, and normally you gave me no hint of what it was and i was super pumped my reaction yeah was, i'm i'm super happy about that that's yeah. awesome so great to have them back and yeah. a really they good could, they gotta fight ftr it, they, they gotta i would face FTR. yeah that'd be great i now that they're back honestly like it's cool because i feel like you've got a few suitors for the next tag team champions yes. you could do which is what we want to get up that division because right? i'm i'll be, be damned if we ever get lethal and jerry in another title match ever again and there's that a, was horrible there's basically a tag team wrestling vacuum in north america right uh, uh for, sort of for wwe for, for the, the most part, part i would say other than when they have main evented mania this year so, um so this can be what you because i love tag team wrestling yeah i think like i will aussie opens a good contender yep. um Proud and powerful, obviously. Now I think are a great contender. I swear there's another team we were talking about maybe getting it. Um, I don't remember. Was it not Bullet Club Gold? I don't think. Um, who were we? I don't. There's some. We talk a, a lot of wrestling. I don't know, but there's like a few that. You but it's could starting really do. to feel like it's almost a stacked division again, right? So, mm-hmm. and that's what I want. Yeah, I'm. I'm loving it. I'm really happy they're back because it's been a long ass time. So really, really enjoyed this match. Really, really enjoyed the aftermath. So that yeah, was an awesome about combination for me. Then we get a couple quick segments with Renee Paquette, right? The first one's backstage sort of as Eddie Kingston and the best friends are watching Phoenix being taken away in an ambulance after the vicious attack. To from... a medical facility. <laughs> Correct. Local medical facility. Um, so Renee tries <laughs> to get an interview with Eddie Kingston. And Eddie Kingston is just Eddie Kingston. So he's awesome. So Not he's just kind of like you watched what your husband just did, right? And now you're coming to talk to me. And she's kind of like, well, I mean, whatever, trying to do her job. But, And then he said something about whatever, he'll settle it in mm-hmm. in Wembley, right? And he's just, like, it feels real. It makes that match feel, he just, I don't know, man, he's got that ability, right? That he yeah, seems I really like pissed off. And in character, he knows his character would not just talk to Renee and not address right. the fact that her husband well, just, just tried to kill Phoenix. very real. So I, yes. I like that he yeah he, he acknowledges that and he's like good friends with mox uh so he would know renee and like you just watched you, him he, do that he was at least why are you here talking to me right. about this so mm-hmm. um so i thought that was really cool and then mm-hmm, we go sure. to sammy guevara they said this was earlier in the day with renee talking to sammy about um i guess staying loyal to chris jericho he's the only one of jazz right that didn't sort of leave jericho high and dry and then it turns out of course jericho got screwed over by callus and now he's a baby face and our favorite segment of the year 
It looks like um, yeah. Oh, so maybe that's a contender for could add bad. it to the list for sure. I don't have a segment list. So two point oh and Garcia show up and sort of um, confront Sammy about his loyalty to Jericho. Menard goes first and says some stuff, and then Parker. It basically ends with like I liked it because Menard was kind of saying what we were thinking, where like it the only reason that went south was because of the painting, right? Like, I kind of like that. Yeah, and I also liked um, something that Parker was saying too, like you're saying that he sort of got caught up in whatever his friend or whatever that he's had for so long. And now that's exactly what you're doing with Jericho. Right. So like you better just be aware that that doesn't cost you and ends. I kind of like, like what Sammy was saying as well. Are you going to be, is he going to be loyal to you when he gets right. that chance? Right. I like what Sam was Sam saying as well. Like kind of getting blinded by the whole thing. Like, I think that was kind of what they were like going for. And that was kind of what we were talking about last yeah. week. So I, I like what Sammy was saying too. I thought this was generally pretty good. Cause I thought, they all had like solid points and Garcia not saying anything was kind of interesting. But, but they like had a meaningful glance. So 2.0 walk out and Garcia sort yeah. of ends it by just look. Cause they've sort of, they were tagging a bit. They've wrestled each other, right? They have the they most got to the story. finals of the most prestigious tag tournament. Of right. All time. So there's a little bit of that there, but I kind of like this and happy to see that these guys are out of jazz and doing something right. So yeah. I, I, was I thought this was generally pretty good. Yeah. I was happy with it as well. So the next thing we get is Osprey Jericho contract signing in the ring with Tony Schiavone, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Crowd hates Callis. Again, he kind of has to yell to get over top. Osprey didn't use his elevated people. theme, which made me sad. You were not happy with his theme choice. I don't hate his theme. This one, I just like the other one way more. Yeah. Um, so he's, I thought his gear was very like, heel, like heel geary, right? Like looking like, like he's just I trying would, to If I could get that off. shirt, I would get that. I, so, I don't, it, it would just be... It'd even be funnier because I'm not a sports fan. So just to like walk yeah. around and like that yeah. would be funny to me. So Callis starts out talking and he admits that he threw away his friendship with Jericho like 34 years or whatever it was for money and power. And that I guess what they're trying to say is he wanted to be part of ending Jericho rather than having Jericho in a faction. But doesn't it feel like this wasn't necessarily the direction they had in mind? I feel like they've sort of changed. I don't know. This... Like, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me still. Like, it all the stuff. And, but he, it, it this helped a lot, I think. It helped. So, Callus's part, I thought, was the part I, I liked the least. Then Osprey speaks, right? And a lot of intensity. His whole thing was he needs this. He's got a wife and a stepkid, and he wants money for his kid's, kid's school. Um, his contract's running out soon, obviously. And what did he say he could beat? Several was Osprey Okada and Jericho within a two month span. Osprey Okada and Jericho. Sorry, Omega. Omega Okada and Jericho in a two month span, right? So that's a feather in your cap for sure. Again, saying he's the best, whatever he's going to prove it, that sort of thing. So I thought he was really good. Jericho responds. He kind of uh, he's taking credit for Osprey's success and longevity, right? Saying that when they were together in New Japan, that was a bit of a stretch for me. And Osprey was wrestling a really reckless style, like his hero dynamite kid. Jericho says like Jericho claims he was the one that took him aside and said, listen, man, you need to tone it down a bit uh, because you could be the, like the future of this sport, but you got to stay healthy sort of thing. Right. So he takes credit for right. uh, yeah, yeah. his longevity. Um, I kind of liked what Jericho was saying too. I'm not gonna lie, man. They made me sort of care about this match, and I'm, I was not at all. I'm so always gonna successful. be of the mentality that this is. This will always be a disappointment for me, and I it's I always view it as that. But I think this d went a long way into helping. Helping. Yeah. I thought Osprey was fantastic. Um, 
he's he's just so good and i loved his intensity i really enjoyed what he was saying me too i like what jericho said too but i feel like i don't know there was a bit of a disconnect there for me just like being responsible i get what he's saying but that part was maybe a bit of a stretch but i was fine with it yeah i thought it was fine though i really liked what osprey was saying though like i obviously think that he could have had a bigger match than jericho but i also get like jericho is a big name value and it's like I think when Jay White was younger, he beat like I think it was Omega, Tanahashi, and Okada in like yeah. a few months span. So it'd be kind of like that. Um, but I thought Osprey, especially and also Jericho, I thought they did a really good job of me too. selling me on a match I didn't really want. Same. I still don't really want it, but I kind of want it more. And I like I don't know. It's a weird. Middle I game. like Jericho thinking like you got to look at it from my angle. You're the one fighting to get to the top. I'm the one at the top trying, trying to say to I spot. still belong yeah. here, and you're it's not your time. I thought they both. Yet. Both so. made a good case for this. I really liked Osprey, yep, especially, and it, I it just remind me why I've enjoyed him. Osprey it, was awesome. So successful in getting me more interested in the match. Which so is that's the goal. What so. they're trying to do. So yeah. I would say that was a good segment. Worked for me. So now Renee sits down with Adam Cole, right, and we see the first package of highlights are just Cole and MJF having fun and hugging and doing whatever. And you and I were like, interesting because they. MJF's it was more the teasing of the tension and the problems they had right um, so they do get around to showing those highlights later on but Cole speaks and basically talks about that he lacked confidence when he came back from his injury and that um, it was MJF who reminded him of who he really is and that Cole will always love him for that so not super specific about what he did to remind him who he is but that's the angle they're going with Renee brings up the kingdom and then they never refer like and then that just got dropped. They show highlights of they yeah, show Roddy really briefly, that. and then they show Cole eyeing up the belt when he almost super kicked MJF, and mm-hmm. they hugged after. So then I, this is all the 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 stuff where there's tension and possible backstabbing. So Renee then brings up like all of those things, and Cole gets really mad and is just like, "I'm done. I don't understand why. Um, it's I don't know why it's so hard to understand that two people are friends. There's no issues between us. Blah blah blah. So." Obviously, leaving us with like, there's going to be issues between them, mm-hmm. right? But uh, what did you think of Cole's time here? Um, I thought it was interesting because after he showed there was the first round of clips, he was like feeling good about, it and he like opened up right about his lack of confidence or whatever. And then, which he said he's never admitted before. So, and then after I like how he just kind of got like hot headed about it. It's interesting because I'm not sure what to think about that. Right, and again, they're still trying to leave it like either one of these is could turn on each other. I guess even the possibility like. Is there a possibility no one turns on anyone? Small. Yeah, like non-zero, but small. Close Mm -hmm. to that, right? So I don't... uh, Yeah, I thought this was... I I didn't love this, but I thought it was fine, right? Like, it was fairly effective in Mm -hmm. what it was trying to do. Um, It didn't make me more interested in the match in the same way that the the contract signing just did for Osprey and Jericho, but... Yeah, I thought thought it it was kind of cool. I thought the contrast to MJF was interesting because... MJF was calm the whole time, and I feel like that's definitely that's part of just him, because he he's good at. They're like, portraying Cole as more of the hothead here, so. But I feel like that that's because Cole's more. I think it could be because Cole's more real about it, and MJF's really good at playing everyone and right. like kind of keeping a certain demeanor. Yep. Until he doesn't want to, like he's he was pretending to babyface Moxley until the time he did, was right. A lot. Um, he did that. He's he's really good at playing an angle, right? Mm. So I feel like it could be that kind of thing. Yeah, it could be. Uh, and Cole is like the motions are more raw because Cole's not working an angle yeah. here, um, and MJF probably is. That's kind of like well, maybe MJF's legacy and maybe new ground is this idea that like 
even though he's consistently a heel, part of his heel persona is, is playing a babyface persona, right? Yeah, Which he's is playing a heel, playing a babyface. Right. And then, but doing it so well that he can convince people maybe he's not, right? Right. But then he, but is, he is, anyways. Yeah. So it's kind of it. So he is interesting in that way. And I think that's what makes him so great. Yeah. I think so too. Um, and, I thought and, this was pretty good. And he's 26. So we're getting like another however many decades it is. Yeah. But yeah. Especially because how long some people go. And he doesn't wrestle the overly risky style. No, so not he, at all. he could stick around a while. Yep. For sure. So another uh, pretty solid segment on this show so far. So then we get a tornado tag team match, which I don't think it was initially billed as. I like I noticed the graphic earlier, and I was like, "Oh, it's a tornado tag match." You didn't know that I don't, until I don't think it, it was, was a late edition or late change or something. I would think so. Yeah. Um. So, Allen and Wayne against Fox and Swerve. They pair off as soon as the bell rings. You've got Wayne and Ar Fox inside the ring. The other two outside. There was um. Was Nain's, Wayne was sort of sitting on the second rope facing the corner, and Fox just flew in for like a German suplex yeah, that looked pretty cool. Kind of thing. Uh, Fox also hit his implosion senton to the floor that always looks good. Mogul Embassy are really dominating early on going into a commercial break. Um, Nick Wayne hits a double Wayne's World to the floor, and then a coffin drop from Darby onto the heels. Wayne gets suplexed on the floor, and I notice his nose is bleeding there. And then... This looked really good. Wayne went for another Wayne's World in the ring, but it was countered into like a powerbomb neckbreaker combination uh, from yeah, Swerve and Fox. Really cool. Looked really good. Crazy suicide dive by Darby Allen into Swerve in the announce table. Um, and then you had Swerve stomping Darby from the apron while Darby was sitting in a chair. So Darby kind of introduced the chair, but he ended up in, in it and taking a stomp it's from like Swerve. It's like the rule of tables. If exactly. you introduce it, you're, you're going through it. <laughs> it's a death wish. Really cool, like they called it a screw brain buster by AR Fox. Oh, that looks so sick. It just but, the way he like spun around with that was so cool. And then after that was like the he puts him in like a rampage grip. It was like a then, package kind of version almost. That looked like, awesome. Yeah, that was so cool. Uh house call from Swerve to Nick Wayne for a near fall. The finish basically Fox misses a four fifty and then so Swerve's kind of got his back to it and is like celebrating prematurely, right? Because he assumes yeah. he's gonna hit the four fifty. So then Wayne ends up like rolling up uh, AR Fox to pick up the win here. Lots going on after. Swerve gets on the mic, blames AR Fox for the loss, calls him a loser, says that this has all been a test and that AR Fox couldn't beat an 18 year old child that Swerve I don't, sort I of. I think that's kind of a contradictory sentence. Right. 18 year old and then <laughs> right. child. But um, I get it. That makes sense. He, Swerve says he can't trust him. So Prince Nana, he hands the mic off to Nana. Nana fires um, AR Fox and. One of the highlights of this for us was Brian Cage comes in, clobbers AR Fox, and then hits him with a drill claw. Finally, at long missing. last. Sting, Darby, and Nick Wayne come back to save AR Fox. So now it's those three in the ring with Fox. Darby tells AR Fox how much he uh, still loves him, um, blah, 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 because he you know took care of him, let him live there when he had nowhere to live, et cetera, et cetera, that backstory. And then he wants to know now, since they got rid of AR Fox, who Swerve has got. And it's Christian Cage and Luchasaurus come out. Cage, man, this is the cage we like. He, Christian, yeah. He was on fire. Yeah, sorry. This... Christian, there are two cages <laughs> yeah, in this I, segment. Yeah, I thought you were sorry. talking about Brian Cage. I was no. like, yeah, I like drill claws. No, Christian Cage here was Yeah, this was hilarious. the Christian I like. Christian and Nick Wayne is a match made in heaven. Because, I mean, you saw what he did with Jungle Boy. Now, yeah. Nick Wayne is just giving him ammo. Like, it's it's so easy. Yeah, so, so good. Um, Christian Cage, I guess I need to be specific, Just, Yeah, addresses Nick Wayne specifically a lot here and brings up how 
Nick Wayne's father is dead, and that basically he's just like he's like I understand you have a father, and I understand your and father's he's dead. dead. Just and he's like that alone. Is I've funny. never heard of him. He couldn't been that good. Um, like the good news is, since he wasn't very good, you don't have much to live up to. <laughs> there was something else about in the coffin match. Like what? What if you have to watch the coffin close yeah, on like, another loved one? Yeah. Like, just all kinds of really, really harsh stuff that I'm <laughs> sure so Nick Wayne's funny. on board for, but man. It's so funny. So funny. So dark. Oh, um, and it. then he sort of ends by referring to himself as the TNT champion, right? Which, so that, that that in itself is funny, just because, I don't know, it's an interesting way to approach Luchasaurus' title run. Yes, where he just doesn't say anything or object to it, uh, until it's, it's eventually he does. So there's a story there, yeah. right, you can come to. But I really thought this match was fun. A lot of cool offense from Fox and uh swerve who were in control of most yeah, of this the, right and this i guess that's really the story nice like yeah. even though it's kind and of Wayne swerve's fault for not paying attention because he had his back turned but in his heel logic fox is the one that lost so he's mad at fox uh and it was just all this match was basically wayne taking an absolute beating yeah. and I, pulling which i thought they should have done for gates of agony last yeah, week they, they definitely did not really. um but yeah i thought this was pretty solid tv match i liked it i wish it gone longer so we could have gotten more out of it yep. but I, had fun I liked it for what time. it was and um i'm disappointed with the, the just, fox the stuff solution. feels rushed right it does feel a rush. i don't love um, that I'm and all... how darby's so quick to just embrace him like this guy i guess it's tried to murder nick wayne basically right and I now he's like hey i love I you guess buddy. he owes him a lot I guess. I guess. Like that. that it, I'm okay with it from that standpoint. I, I'm just disappointed because it is a little rushed, but also because I, I was, I really like Fox in the Milk MC. Me I too. Thought, I thought that was it's a, good a really cool idea. So I'm a little disappointed from that aspect, but um, I think it's okay. I didn't. I'm not too. It just feels like the story this. hit hyperspeed all of a sudden. A little AR bit, Fox, yeah, but right? it looks a lot better compared to the Callus Jericho fiasco last but week. But bottom line, we got a drill claw. Swerves a laugh when he started that promo. It was just so yeah. super villain. It was, yes. But yeah. Uh, Swerve's promo was really nice though. Um, Drill Claw finally and that. I dark, pop, I dark, that. Dark Christian is. And the Christian Cage we enjoy. Yeah, I really enjoy that. So I, I thought overall this was a nice uh, piece. Me too. This show just keeps rolling along. Very yep. strong stuff so far. So now Renee sits down with FTR and the Bucks in the same room, in the same space. Um, FTR basically, she asks why FTR has come to the aid of the Bucks three times recently. Wheeler says not because they're buddies, but because they need to find out who the best team is with no excuses. I guess they want the Bucks at 100%. Matt's elbow. <clears throat> Matt talks about it being an understatement of the century that this is the biggest match of their career. And Nick thinks that they are made men, the Bucks, and that um, it's more important that FTR cement their legacy because the Bucks have kind of already done that. And then it's a lot I of thought talk. that was an interesting attitude. Like they yeah. just came in and said, we, we don't really need to win this yeah. match. Yeah, he did. He, Nick literally, literally said that, right? Um, and then Wheeler and Harwood say it's the biggest match of their career as well. But this one's also personal. And Harwood says having the tag titles allows you to say you're the best. But this goes beyond that. They're cementing their legacy and they don't want to, he doesn't want to, you know, he's always with the family. I don't want to face my family and tell them I came up short. And Matt sort of mocks him, right, for always being like, oh, my family and my kid and Decent whatever. Decent as well. Um, so the Bucks say that when they hang up their boots, people will give them their flowers and say they're the best tag team in wrestling. And Matt says that people will say that FTR are the team that the Bucks named on their YouTube show. Ooh. Oh. Reference. BTI. Oh, wrong one. Harwood finishes up talking again and says that basically they are the, the Bucks are the, sorry, the FTR are the foundation now, and they will crack the Bucks foundation at Wembley Stadium. So uh, what did you think of this one? Uh, I thought this was really good. I like the the simplicity of it just like with all the the best in the world talk the talk of legacies and all that i like the simplicity of it i like the bucks kind of leaning into the heel heelishness a bit 
because I think that makes more sense for them. Um, but I, I don't know. I liked it. Um, I'm just trying to think. Uh, I don't know. It's hard to think. <laughs> I, it is because it just happened. But I, yeah, I, it wasn't my favorite promo of the show. I thought it was decent though. Um, I don't know. This doesn't feel super fresh to me. It's going to be an awesome match. No, it feels right? like but... kind of a retread of the thing, especially with Bucks or sorry, FTR saving them again. Yeah. However, I I'm okay. With... It doesn't need to be super straight or no. They've just gone super, legacy. Super complex. It's yeah. about your legacy, right? They've yeah. kept it really simple. And I'm I don't know. I, f- I feel like the Bucks are probably the best, but I don't know. I feel like FTR are going to win because I think so with the too. Titles online and them being gonna... on Collision right now and. They're yes. so such a focus of that show, right? So I think taking the belt off them, belts. Oh, I thought you were gonna say it might anger yet. Punk. Well, I don't is. care about that. It might, but I just think if they're trying to build Collision as a big show, you have the tag team titles on there. I don't know. We'll I see, think I it's dumb to keep them on one show. But... I don't. I don't think this was bad, but it didn't make me more interested in this match and other. I didn't need more interest. Other I'm... promos on this show have made me I'm more interested. It. So it was fine. Yeah. Yeah. Then we get our Dynamite Women's Match of the Week. It's Ruby Soho and Sky Blue. Because Sky Blue needs to be on TV. So this was about a seven-minute match with three minutes of commercials. So tough to have too much of an opinion, but some things happened anyways. They each got a little inset promos ahead of the match. I didn't make a note of what they said. It was nothing beyond generic, probably. Um, Soho gets run. I don't I think she was trying to attack Sky Blue before the bell, but Blue ended up running her into the barricade instead. And then Ruby takes control for a bit early on with the stomps and sort of chokes Blue on the ropes. But then it's Blue in control for a lot of this head kick, diving crossbody to the floor, another one in the ring after the commercial break, swinging neckbreaker by Blue. Then there's like a whole bunch of back and forth pin attempts. You have uh, Sky Blue, even commentary called it a glancing kick to the head. And then she hit it the It was sky- very glancing. glancing. And then a Skyfall, what I, I thought looked pretty good for a near fall. How would you describe a Skyfall? It's like a full Nelson spin on a face buster, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's, it looked pretty good. But anyways, Ruby then just sort of no future destination unknown. And she picks up the win here after seven minutes. I don't know. I thought it was fine, right? Like all of... It was like... About, all of Sky Blues. That's what I would have expected. Sky yeah. Blues, not good. Fletcher's way better than her. Um, and Soho was okay. Yeah, that was about it's the really, size of I it. I really have nothing to say because it's a match I didn't care about, and it's a match that served no purpose. And almost half of it was a commercial, and for yeah. whatever reason, we did not get picture-in-picture picture on this commercial break. I, so. I don't know. But yeah, it was fine. It happened. It wasn't bad. Renee then talks to um, Roderick Strong with the kingdom, the other members behind, and Bis basically says, she's like, why are you so angry? What do you know that we don't know? And just says, at the end of All In, we'll know who the real MJF is and the real Adam Cole, and that was it. So. Mm-hmm. Matt Taven didn't speak, so... That's a plus. But he got on TV, so that's a minus. (laughs) But yeah, nothing really added here, but it got Roddy on TV in his neck brace again. So, Mm -hmm. good stuff, I guess. All right, then we get a little bit of like a House of Black part of the show here. They get a little vignette where they're talking about funerals, but our feed was glitchy, right? We were losing some sound and stuff. Uh, But they do end up putting Billy Gunn's uh, boots in a baler, I guess, was the big thing. And that just set off... Baler, hardly know her. That just set off the acclaim. So they storm to the ring sorry, and call out the House of Black. House of Black are sort of... Lights went out, probably? I didn't really notice. But anyways, House of Black are surrounding the ring. Well, they did their entrance, so the lights go out and whatever. You know, all all the things. Brawling ensues. House House of Black dominate. Billy Gunn has to come out of retirement, I guess. And House of Black retreat for some reason with a near 60-year-old with no weapon or anything. But anyways, 
They uh, gun AW's the lands where uh, senior citizens uh, terrorize terrifying. whole factions. No, not they're not just terrifying. They terrorize factions of multiple people single-handedly. Yeah. Sorry. So Gun gets on the mic, says that House of Black now have his attention. Blah blah blah. He lost twice. I think whatever left his boots in the ring, and he was okay with that. But then the House of Black jumped the acclaimed and hurt one of his kids, and the crowd's like, "Ooh, those aren't your real kids, though." Your kids are with Switchblade. Uh, and then they destroyed Gun's boots. So they took his Hall of Fame legacy and pissed all over it. So one more time, he'll do it. But then he sort of teases that he can't go over. He won't be there. But Swerve, eh, he will be. He's just now badass Billy Gun again. He changed Wembley. one word. No so rockabilly, though. This is a late addition to the card. I don't really think it's one we need. I'm not super excited about it. But... I'm fine with it. It's... A payoff to a story. And House doing, of Black are cool, right? So, But I feel like they're going to lose. Yeah, I do too. So that, that kind of sucks. It does. I think it'll be a solid match or whatever. And I, I enjoy it. I've not like I've enjoyed I think I appreciate the build. I think it's been solid. Yeah. Um, And it's a nice story for them, I guess. And at least Billy Gunn's not getting a solo title run. So. Yeah, right. So, I, yeah, I, I don't know. It should The match should be fine. I'm not. It's yeah. not one I'm super looking forward to. It's but. a fine build, though. Yep. And then we get the main event. And it's 2023, it's and it's the Hardys. It's the Hardys. Yeah. Taking on Ozzy See, Open. See, I just watched Sky Blue wrestle, and I'm like, I want to watch the Hardys wrestle. This match made me annoyed. I'm not going to lie to you. Because um, Ozzy Open looked dumb? A little bit. Early poetry in motion to Davis, then Fletcher, although only the one to Fletcher was the proper technique. Yeah, I thought, I thought he wasn't doing it because he didn't want to like land weird because he's a old dummy. At this point, I wrote Hardys in control early because I did not anticipate Hardys being in control for the whole thing. So, yep. um, Ozzy Open are in control when we get back from the break, but we didn't get to see any of that. We didn't so really get any of that, we yeah. basically get no Ozzy Open offense hey, in this whole I'm, match. No one's happy about them being on TV again more than me. I love Ozzy Open. I think but I made that clear. Here. I cannot stress. I love them a lot. I think they're amazing. But yeah, they didn't get to do enough here. This is kind of like um, Gates of Agony last week. You're bringing them on TV to like not really do them much service here. Right. Um. So you get a whisper in the wind to both of... Which he actually hit, and correct. he also was able to launch off of. Then Matt tags in. He dominates Fletcher, including a side effect. We get a superplex. Matt Hardy hot tags is what we live for. A super, he's this rickety moving around the ring at this yeah, point, man. Not, I really get looks why, uncomfortable. Like, it's just it's not yeah. something I need. Superplex and a splash combination from the Hardys. <laughs> not a powerplex. And I'm starting to write Aussie Open finally get control, but then they hit two combo moves and it's over. Yeah, they hit their combo where it's the fireman's carry drop from Davis into the kick from Fletcher. Then Davis has him in the power slam lift, and then Davis or Fletcher hits the middle rope cut, and that's a no Coriolis. No Coriolis. No setup for the Coriolis. Like we basically like, saw them hit two moves because everything else was on a commercial break. I saw them hit the thing where they like run the hardies into each other but yes. that was on instagram so i don't i want to say that was picture in picture of me before that because yeah. i didn't i don't remember recall seeing it here when we actually watched the match so ozzy open pick up the win um i guess fletcher gets on the mic says there will be no double clothesline no kangaroo kick at all in mjf and cole come down ozzy open beat them down to start and then set up for a double clothesline but uh cole and mjf end up fighting back so they almost double clothesline davis who escapes the ring and then Fletcher almost takes a kangaroo kick. And then you get MJF stopping Fletcher. Fletcher really needs to work on turning around. Remember when Moxley, like, what was it the one time Moxley was like, 
I think it was the thing with Hangman. He was like getting up and like, but he like he like knew Hangman was yeah. behind him. Fletcher, like, like Fletcher in this scenario and the other time this happened, he's like the polar opposite yes. of that. You know, it doesn't look about? supernatural, right? which is, I'm not a fan of as well. MJF stops Fletcher from hitting Cole. Cole almost super kicks MJF as we get into the teasing of. The are these guys going to yeah. implode before Heel we turn, even get there? All that fun stuff. So Cole and MJF are nose to nose. MJF grabs the title, holds it up. MJF starts to walk out of the ring. Yeah, and Cole, Cole has offers back a handshake, turned. and he like kind of brushes by Cole, like kind of shoulder right. bumps him, and then pulls out the ring of his out of his pocket, puts it on momentarily, yeah. takes it off, puts it back in his pocket. One of the things where he kind of thinks twice about and it. goes in and hugs Cole. So just again furthering this whole like. Yeah. Someone's turning on somebody, but we're not quite sure. So I thought that the aftermath, I the aftermath was better a than lot the match. More than the match. I thought the match was kind of a waste because it was. I'm really happy for Ozzy Open getting a lot of TV time. Like I liked, but just sell but, for the Hardys, and that's it. Yeah, like I think their match with Commander and Vikingo, a team that yes. isn't experienced, was far better and did more for them because that was more competitive right. and it was more entertaining. Like I'm all for Ozzy Open getting on TV. I'm super happy they're signed, and I love seeing them on like a more consistent basis like we've been getting right yep. um but i think this obviously didn't do them any favors and considering it's a very arbitrary match it's just a tv title defense just to kind of get them on screens Agreed. before all in it did not have to be the hardies and it did not have to be the short it could have been like more competitive commercial breaks better paced and then not the hardies or more balanced why am i just watching the hardies stumbling around doing stuff when aussie open have some of the most entertaining tag team offense in the world, probably literally. Yeah. And we watch them do nothing. Like, yeah, I don't they got know. some it of my favorite me. tag offense in the world right now, and they were selling for the Hardys. So I'm not. I'm gonna be honest. I'm not a huge fan of that. But I thought the aftermath was fine. Aside from the me kangaroo too. kick, the kangaroo kick is whatever. I can take it or leave. No, it. the aftermath was good. Um, I thought the aftermath was nice and kind of building. It does. It's a small building but it's building two matches at once so for that i appreciate it so overall this show like just a general impression because you don't have notes on everything that happened I, like the show was really really rolling it stepped up well from last and then week for i sure. thought it definitely made a recovery but i i thought this was like if the main event were a better match like i'm i'm gonna say a b plus just kind of off the top of my head because yeah. i I really, really liked everything pretty much mm -hmm. until the Soho Sky Blue. I've, I would have liked the opener to have happened as well. I like what they did with that, but I feel like if we had could have gotten a match before that, I would have liked it because I thought I was kind of looking forward to a nice trios match. But yeah. I think the opening the, the brawling and stuff was, was good. still nice. It yeah. wasn't like a bad supplement. But so I was loving the show, and then I didn't think Soho Sky Blue was bad, and then it got into like the acclaimed stuff in the main event. So those three yeah. things I didn't think were amazing to end the show but i think the rest of the show was really strong yeah. so i went b plus this i week. thought the opening bit was solid um the mox phoenix match was really, really strong good. and um prime powerful back that's awesome amazing super happy um, about that what was the other match that was good oh the tornado tag match i thought that was, was pretty fun. good and the post match stuff was solid i think the fox thing is a little brush but a little not, suspicious not yeah. horribly though because no. i think i think it all works well enough and then christian was Back really to funny. the Christian we enjoy. Um, FTR Buxton was nice. Uh, both Cole MJF segments were good. A lot of the segments um, were good. A lot of nice building towards all. And I think it sometimes it's a, it was a little late, but I think generally speaking, it was a nice honestly, build. The Jericho Osprey stuff oh, made me I care. I forgot about that. I really liked so, that segment too. That was really actually. good. Yeah, I thought Osprey was awesome, and I thought Jericho was um, the Jericho I like to see in this day and age. It's yep. the, the nicest way to put it because I think he's kind of hit or miss these days but i think this is the jericho that was the jericho I'd they like made to me see. care so that was yeah they effective. made me more interested in a match i'm still disappointed in 
So um, I would say a, a pretty good to very good go I'd home say, show. I'd say I thought the I'd segments say lower were really plus, on point. I think yeah. it would have been a higher B plus if the latter portion was better. Like, you know, the women's match and the main event. Main like event just saying. needed to be. Main event was disappointing. You could have a blow away main event with Ozzy Open and some young Exactly. It could have been anybody else. I would really like whenever Dante's back, I think Top Flight versus yeah. Ozzy Open would go Something hard. Something like that. Um, and I know Top Flight uh, filter on ROH. So. Yeah. But yeah, I think it was a pretty good show. At least it was a step up from... Uh, last week, I think it was a solid go home. Um, they did a decent job building things, and I think they did a pretty good job transitioning the card switches. Yep. That they had to do with I think Fox and Phoenix. I think those were like, obviously it was a little jarring with Fox, but I think it was about as smooth as that could have gone. Right. Well, um, that's gonna wrap up the Dynamite review. So thanks for I'm joining me for this. And either in Toronto or down right. on another street currently. This is the only segment Jack yeah. will be in this week, but I'm glad to get yeah, your voice I'll, on I the just, show. I was just thinking when you said off the top of your head, we won't get that no. this week. So I don't even know what to throw to after this segment because I don't know what I'll be doing. I guess but talking about NXT maybe? Some sort know. of segment will follow this one. Yeah. And that will a segment on the podcast will follow will this happen one. right about now. All right, so it is High Spots and Rest Holds this segment. It'll be the final segment this week. Bit of a shorter episode, but again, that's kind of why we released another, <clears throat> the first episode of the Good Gold, Good Gold Days, as Jack coined it. So that's up there waiting if you'd like some more content from us. But let's talk about what I watched the rest of this week. First of all, I do know that Jack would want me to mention because it's maybe the best thing he's done since being in... Um, WWE, and that is from Monday Night Raw. I'm going to hit one high spot, super mega high spot, as I would say. And that was Shinsuke's, Shinsuke Nakamura's promo um, referring to Seth Rollins. And Jack and I talk about this a lot. When you let a performer perform in their first language, you get so much more out of it. They're just so much more comfortable, so much more expressive. Just It's just so much better. And they let Shinsuke speak in Japanese here with sa subtitles. Imagine making the assumption that your audience can read. And the only problem is, yes, WWE tries to attract young, young children. But hopefully someone is there to read it to the children. Because this was fantastic, right? This, this is... I was telling Jack, I loved Shinsuke Nakamura in New Japan. Um... I forget, he'd, he'd tell you what year it was now, but I, I don't remember. But he was just so cool, so different, so quirky, unique, uh, and it just never really came across in WWE. I feel like this is sort of the beginning of that, right? So he basically had whispered something in Seth's ear, and he reveals to us that it was, I know about your back, and that Seth Rollins' back is basically, Shinsuke calls it broken. I don't think he means literally, but like Seth's back is in a bad way. And Shinsuke now knows that. And that's going to be the target. And like you can't hug your wife or pick up your kid without being in pain. And it's funny because the tattoo on your back is basically about this code that we live by. But it's also identifying your weakness sort of thing. Um, just fantastic. A fantastic promo from Shinsuke. Captivating. This is what I've been waiting for him to do for years. So hopefully they are embracing letting the man speak in his first language because... I think it's just so much more effective. Um, I love this segment. I see it's been 
widely praised. I haven't seen anyone negative on it. So hopefully that's a sign that WWE will continue to treat Shinsuke and other foreign talent this way um, because it came across awesome on TV. Okay, so now taking a look at this week's NXT on Tuesday. It was NXT Heat Wave, right? So Heat Wave opened. I don't, I didn't. It wasn't my favorite. I don't know if it was a rest hold, but I'll mention it because it was at least notable, and it's my show, so I can get away with if it's neither a high spot nor a rest hold. I guess you can complain if you want to. Jack's not here to stop me. Um, so it's Stax and Tony D in a pool, and then a whole bunch of women show up, and they get in the pool with them, and it's. Lots of stereotypical Italian accents, but again, they do that little bit where they break down every one of the heat wave matches. And I'll always give NXT credit for trying. They always try to have some fun, interesting segment that sort of summarizes all of the upcoming matches and feuds for people that may not be watching NXT on a weekly basis. So I, I appreciate the effort. I don't think this was one of my favorite ones, but I do like this staple of NXT events. So a high spot on the show, I thought, it ended up being one, started out a little tricky for me. Um, that was the opening match of Trick Williams taking on Dragunov here. So this is a big step up for Trick. He's been developing really well lately, fantastic on the mic, getting better in the ring. So kind of separating him from Carmelo Hayes a little bit and giving him a little bit of his own programs to work. So the first half of this match was almost entirely chops, kicks, and punches. Okay, Kind of felt like you were watching two people play a wrestling video game who are just, as my younger son would say, spamming the punch and kick button. Um, however, some of those were stiff and loud and the crowd was responding to them. Uh, Trick did miss a couple of moves. I think there was some kicks and there was a second or two of awkwardness in this, so I'm not trying to say it was perfect, but I thought the second half picked up a lot. We got some big moves. Trick hit a really um, nice-looking, really stiff-looking high knee just flattened Dragunov. Uh, Dragunov hit Trick with his a power bomb and the falling forearm for a near a near fall. And then Dragunov, as expected, did end up picking up the win here. But he used um, like a super finisher, basically. It's his falling forearm, but he ended up doing it off of the second rope. So Dragunov picks up the win here after 14 minutes. And by the end of this, I thought it was pretty good. Some of Dragunov's chops early sounded awesome. Uh, and Trick... He did. He looked like a guy in the biggest match to date, and he did make a couple of stake, mistakes, and he probably was being carried by a very talented veteran. And that's not really a, a criticism. He has come a long way, and I think he could be a star in WWE. There's still some work to be done, obviously, but if he stays on the trajectory he's been on in recent months in NXT, and the guy can talk, like that's we know that already, and that's not something everybody can do. So that he already has a leg up on a lot of people with his look and his ability to speak. And he keeps improving. And I, I enjoyed this as an opening match. A rest hold for me, not so much the content, just the presentation and just sort of a disconnect for me. And that was Mustafa Ali interrupting Rhea Ripley and Dom Mysterio backstage. So I, Ali mocks them a little bit. And I don't even care what he said or what he did. But I just didn't like that he presented a brand new sort of dramatic character last week in that recorded segment where he was basically a politician, right? Um, and then there, he's back to the way he was before, and there's not a mention of it, no reference to it at all. And I, for one, I, maybe I was in the minority, I don't know. I was really interested in the new character he was trying last week, and now it's just like it's gone. So I don't know, maybe it comes back, maybe they pulled shoot after one 
try, but I thought this was strange that the, you had this big dramatic pre-recorded segment and then there is absolutely no reference. Like it never even happened this week. So that was just a, a little um, nitpick I had with the episode. Another rest hold shortly after that was Ava. I almost said Ava Rain, just Ava now, making her singles debut, taking on Ring General, not quite, Ivy Nile. So not a lot of hope for this one to be good, to be honest. Ava, again, first singles match. Ivy Nile's progressing, but I, don't, I still don't think she's amazing. Um, so Ava did really basic stuff. She did hit a backbreaker and a scorpion kick, they called it, that really only looked decent. Ivy really didn't do anything but one with her dragon sleeper, and it was just over two minutes. We were spared much of this, so it can't be too critical of a two-minute match, but really a nothing match to lead to what happened afterwards, I guess, and that was that the other Schism members, and now there's suddenly a million of them, even though their their mantra has always been four roots, one tree. We've sort of never explained why now there are like 38 roots, but that's beside the point, and I bring that up a lot, so I apologize. Um, so they're surrounding Ivy Nile in the ring after the match. Nile effectively fights a few of them off. And then two members of Schism, quote unquote, rescue Ava from Ivy Nile and sort of carry Ivy, or sorry, Ava away up the ramp. And I think we can all see exactly where this is going, right? And I'll, and I'll talk about it later. We do get sort of the payoff to this later. And I'll talk about it then. But I think it's fairly obvious what's going on with these two Schism members, um, saving Ava from Ivy Nile, and we'll come back to it later. But the match itself, not good. Didn't expect it to be good, and it delivered on those expectations. Um, I, This is just a random note I have in here. Booker T forgets the names of the members of Metaphor, and Vic Joseph just straight out, straight up calls them out on it. Like, you, you forget their names, don't you? And it's kind of funny, because he definitely did. Sometimes I feel like Booker doesn't watch the product, even though he is a commentator on it. I don't know how that's possible, but sometimes it feels like it. However, I did just, I don't know why, I watched a clip of um, Booker T and his co-host on his podcast were finding out in real time about the death of Bray Wyatt. So that was that was tough to watch. You could see that they were completely um, struck, stricken, strucken by that news. Um, kind of put a monkey wrench in their show. But anyways, a high spot from NXT. I liked the Heritage Cup match. It was Nathan Frazier, Noam Dar. Not much chance I'm not going to like a match between those two. So Bate is Tyler Bate is at ringside with Fraser, and that was set up in a previous segment on a show just because uh, obviously Dar is going to have all the members of Metaphor there, so Fraser was looking for a second for himself. So we get no falls in the first round of this, a, a deliberate start um, with a faster-paced final minute or so, and the bell rings just as Fraser was starting to land some mounted punches. And this is how it always starts, right? The first round or round and a half, they're kind of feeling each other out. And maybe some people complain about that or that it's slow. I really don't mind it because I find with the right competitors, these matches really, really build into like a frenzied final round or two. And I really enjoy it. So I don't mind a slow start. So part of my grievances here, the main one, we don't get picture in picture. I watch it on um, whatever the sports network is here that provides it to me in Canada. So we don't get picture in picture. We just get regular old commercial breaks where I can't see anything. So we miss all of round two. Um, we miss a fall for Dar. We miss an attack on Tyler Bate during the commercial from Dabakato. So none of that is anything I saw, but I am aware that it happened. So bit of an issue, obviously. Then we get round three where Dar is in control for most of it. 
Fraser hits a dive to the floor, and then the very AJ Styles off the ropes reverse DDT and a running shooting star for a near fall. And Dar, I love this spot. He hits his beautiful back elbow, his his Judas effect that makes a Judas effect look like garbage. Um, so he hits it like a second after the bell. And then it's like, oh, I didn't hear the bell. So just, I think he did it perfectly. Just long enough after the bell to know that he's a heel. He did it on purpose, but also soon enough that he could make the case that, no, I didn't hear the bell. It was an accident, right? So I thought it was really well executed. Then another one of his stiff back elbows from Dar for a near fall a minute into round four. Fraser does the leap up to the top a la Kurt Angle in his prime. Hits a super cut, a super cut, superplex final cut. That makes more sense. Combination for a pinfall. And now it's tied at one going into round five because as soon as there is a fall in these rounds, the round ends. So again, I miss almost all of round five com for commercials. We come back with 20 sec 26 seconds left in the round. So Fraser jumps onto Dar and the metaphor out on the floor. Fraser grabs Dar, throws him back into the ring. But Lash is sort of holding on to Fraser's foot. I think it was long enough so that when Fraser finally does get down to make the cover, time expires before the three count. So we head to round six. Again, basically missing round two and round five of this if you're watching it the way I watched it. And then round six, as you expect, is the fa fast-paced one. The crowd seems to be getting into it. Both men end up down with about a minute to go. Fraser takes uh, a second to take out the rest of Metaphor, but that allows Dar time to roll away from a Phoenix Splash, and then he follows up with his Nova Roller, and Dar wins and is the first three-time Heritage Cup champion. Again, like the match, but obviously a pretty major complaint is that I missed two of the six rounds due to commercials. All of round two, all but 26 seconds of round, what was that, five. So... And I'm not even saying if they gave me picture in picture, I would necessarily pay attention. I do the odd time if it's a match I really want to see, but I didn't even have that option here. Otherwise, I thought this was a good match with a really emerging heel faction in metaphor. I really like them. I don't know if Mensa quite fits for me, but I feel like that's kind of how they're presenting it because Dara was constantly making reference to Mensa lost the cup for him, right? And that you can see Mensa looking at him sometimes and not loving that being the talking point. So I just think this group have a really cool dynamic. I love the decision to give Dar the cup back because he his interactions with that cup are hilarious. Um, so I think that is definitely the right choice. The cup doesn't really do anything for Nathan Fraser. I think it does a lot for Dar. And I continue for one. I don't know. I would love to hear what other people think of it, but I enjoy Heritage Cup matches. And they seem at this point to be sort of reserved for skilled in-ring talent. And I really like that, obviously. Um, because I think you do have to have a certain degree of ability to pull off a six-round match like this. So it seems to attract some um, good in-ring performers, and I enjoy the matches. Then I thought a bit of a rest hold. Um, I am a big Tiffany Stratton supporter. However, I have been sort of noticing that when she does promos in a live setting in front of the crowd, she's definitely not as effective as in pre-recorded. Again, she's really young, doesn't have a ton of experience. This is nothing... Um, not a major criticism. She has plenty of time to, uh, and they're not always the case either. Some she's done I've really liked. This one, I didn't think was one of her best. Sorry, I'm going to sip some coffee here. I don't have Jack to talk while I drink coffee. This is terrible, so bear with me. I thought she sounded, she being Tiffany Stratton, of course, she sounded nervous to start this. And to be honest, the crowd was annoying me here. 
There was a lot of crowd noise, but it wasn't on topic. It seemed like there were lots of people having their own conversations or doing something to amuse themselves. And if just an overall sense of there's noise in the crowd and it's not related to anything Stratton was doing. And that may have thrown her off a little bit too. So Gigi Dolan interrupts and comes down. And as she usually does, in my opinion, tries too hard and just overdoes things. Kiana James comes out next. She didn't sound great then. Um, I, God, I keep wanting to say Lindsay Davenport, the tennis player. Blair Davenport, the wrestler. Um, so obviously this ends with those four having a brawl as Stratton sort of watches from the floor. And again, I don't think the crowd was really paying attention to this. And just looking on paper, this is not a super strong showcase of talent in this division, right? I, I have no problem with Tiffany Stratton. I think she's quite good. And obviously she's kind of the future, so you need to develop her and give her attention. Gigi Dolan does nothing for me. Kiana James, the way she's been presented, does very little for me. Davenport, I kind of like in ring. So I imagine she... So it's like she needs to come out of this, I think. But that would put heel versus heel, I think. Although there's some talk that Stratton's kind of leaning face because the crowd likes her being conceited and arrogant. The crowd kind of cheers for that. So I don't know if this is the beginning of Stratton as a baby face. Um, but I'm not really thrilled with any of the cha possible challengers other than Davenport. I think could, they could have a good match. Um, and later in the show, we kind of learn the obvious here that these four women will face off in a number one contenders match somewhere down the line. So we'll see what happens there. Something else I wasn't a big fan of just in the way they did it was the creeds finally revealing themselves in the angle with Schism and Ava this week. So Ava has escaped to the woods with the two masked men, Schism members who saved her from Nile earlier. Um, so Ava kind of awkwardly, she didn't sound great here. She has, I don't know, she has issues pronouncing some letters, Jack and I have kind of noticed. But anyways, she calls out Ivy Nile. Nile shows up and Ava thinks, oh, great, I've got her now because she's just going to order the two masked guys to attack Ivy Nile. She gives the word and they just stand there. So what could possibly happen here? And they finally unmask and shock of all shocks, the worst kept secret, it is the Creeds. And they want a cage match with the Dyad. And the Creeds will get instated if they win the match. And just to spoil it later in the show, so I don't have to come back to it, the Dyad do accept the challenge later. I didn't think Ava sounded good here. And through no fault of her own, she didn't write the script. She looked stupid, right? After weeks of the Creeds infiltrating this mass group, she is not at all suspicious that these two men, and in my notes have caps lock here, who are exactly the same size as the Creeds, might not be who they claim to be. So you've been suspicious that these two men have been infiltrating your group for weeks now. And when two people totally matching the description of those two take you away to the woods, you don't, you're not suspicious at all that it could be the creeds. So just silliness to me. I'm fine with the match. I think the dyad have been killing it lately. I think the creeds are really good in the ring. So that match should be awesome. But how we got here has been kind of silly in my opinion and this segment was kind of the cherry on top of that like you didn't think this was the creeds that were with you in the woods ava i think she kind of looks dumb not her fault okay a high spot for me we talked about it or i talked about it so it's only me today in the um, news and rumors segment it's the metaphor announce a tournament so they're celebrating noem dar's win when someone drops off an envelope from the heritage cup committee which i thought was a little bit clunky right a 
people don't really get envelopes delivered to them in 2023 wouldn't this be more likely to be in an email but anyways and then we've never had any mention of a heritage cup committee ever it just magically exists and still operates analog on paper i guess but anyways the bottom line is there's a global heritage invitational tournament uh eight men to determine who will challenge dar for the heritage cup at no mercy and i thought it was amusing because the only takeaway from this for dar is that he doesn't have to defend the cup for five weeks which is a great little heel angle, right? Like, awesome. I don't have to do anything for five weeks. And this group just have a really fun energy in general. And I love a tournament, so I hope there's some new talent included. I would love a couple new people that I don't even know would be great. Um, but anyways, we'll see where that goes. Surprisingly enjoyed a mixed tag match. They are not my favorite match type generally. Uh, but this one I kind of liked. So we got some serious slaps and strikes between Ripley and Lyra. I think they seem to have good chemistry together. We get a nice Dragonly super kick to Dom as he's sort of mocking Lyra because I think uh, Dom was tagged in. Lyra didn't know, so he kind of turns to mock Lyra and gets his head kicked off by Dragon Lee. We get a great vertical, vertical suplex counter into a DDT later by Lyra. Lyra does hit her finishing roundhouse kick like the Black Mass, basically. But unfortunately, kind of nicely done. It sends Ripley into her own corner so she can tag Dom. And then later on, Dragon Lee's on fire. Uh, he hits a double stomp to Dom hanging over the ropes. Uh, we get a float out, sit, float over, sit out powerbomb by Dragon Lee for a near fall. We get a Hurricane Rana from the apron that's caught by Ripley. And she swings Lyra into the barricade. Looked pretty good. And kind of out of nowhere, uh, Raquel, I'm all honestly forgetting whether it's Rodriguez or Gonzalez from main roster, um, runs down because her name changed from NXT to main roster. I forget which direction, but you know who I'm talking about. She, she runs down to attack Rhea Ripley and they brawl to the back. That leaves Dom in the ring alone with Dragon Lee. Dragon Lee hits Destino. I don't know what he's calling it. They should probably give it a name so people will stop calling it Destino. But anyways, Dragon Lee picks up the pinfall win here for his team over the North American champion. And again, I don't usually get excited for these types of matches, but I thought this one was executed pretty well and it got a, a decent chunk of time at about 14 minutes. Almost felt like two separate matches and I was kind of entertained by both of them. I think Lyra Valkyria is awesome. And as they try and figure out her character and get away from the whole bird stuff, I think that bodes well for her. I think she's really talented. And Rhea Ripley is a star. Like I don't necessarily want to like her, but she is fantastic talent now. Super believable in her role. She and Lyra seem to really work well together. Dom didn't really get a lot of time on offense in this, but I think that's on brand for him. I think the idea is that he's not a very good wrestler at this point, but he just finds ways to win and uses the power of his uh, girlfriend and friends to just keep him with the title. So I don't mind that. I thought this was a solid match that over-delivered for me because normally when it's a mixed match, I kind of groan. Um, I also like the still-evolving kind of realistic portrayal of Mello and Trick's relationship. So Mello just kind of lets Trick know in this segment, I think it was backstage or locker room or whatever, that he wants to go to the ring alone tonight. And Trick sort of questions it at first, but then he kind of understands by the end. He looks, there is a moment there, oh yeah, it is in the locker room, because the title's sort of hanging on a locker door. And so Trick kind of looks at it for a minute and then grabs it and hands it to Mello, if that's like a subtle tease of something for down the road. Um, but another believable interaction between two friends, right? Whose relationship there has changed. It's evolved slightly. And so they communicate clearly to each other. And for now, it seems to be okay. Now, 
that trick looking at the title and picking it up maybe a little hint down the road but i hope it's pretty far down the road because i like the way this is going so far that like there's kind of mutually agreeing to go their separate ways because it's what each of them need to do but no real tension between them so far i'm sure it's coming but for now i like how they're kind of it seems like a slow burn and, and that's not something wwe excels at so i'm happy when they they do it and then i thought the main event was good it was wesley challenging carmelo hayes Starts out really quick, as expected, between these two. A lot of mirroring of moves um, leading to a stalemate early. Then another stalemate before a standing Spanish fly from Lee heading into a commercial break. Melo did hit his fadeaway leg drop. Melo's on a roll at one point, culminating in a super kick for a two count. Lee manages to dodge. Melo's springboard clothesline hits a Meteora for two. We get that nice corkscrew senton. I think Lee won last match with that possibly here it's not enough it just gets a two count look good though Mello catches the cardiac kick counters with a cutter then a code breaker for two Mello hits a springboard ddt through the announce table he sort of bounces off the ropes to the floor and it looked pretty crazy catches lee for a ddt through the announce table looked great lee ends up avoiding nothing but net just as carmelo avoided lee's finisher i guess he does hit the cardiac kick but Mello has the wherewithal to roll out of the ring to save the loss and the title. Lee dives to the outside, but Mello moves. And this looked crazy. Lee hits his head on... Granted, it's padded, but I don't care. Hits his head on the barricade hard enough that the barricade moves. Crowd goes silent. Commentary goes silent. Ref goes over to check on him. I'm not sure how he didn't compress his neck here. It looked like he would hurt. But anyways, guess he's okay. He barely beats the 10 count, only to be hit with nothing but net. And then the match was over and Carmelo Hayes retains. I did like this match. I'm going to sound like I'm critical. I thought it was a good match, but I did find it a bit strange that the mixed tag team match got two more minutes than this, um, than your main event between two really talented performers. But I think there is another gear these two can get to. I think this was a very good match and I think there's a great match to be had between these two. I enjoyed what we got, but with these two, there's a chance that I should be blown away by a match. And I wasn't. Very good, though. Again, I'm not, I don't want to sound critical because I did like the match. The second half of it I thought was awesome. Uh, and overall, a really good TV main event. I would just love an epic match between these two on a pay-per-view with a strong build. Um, it's just not quite Lee's time, right? If he ever is going to be, doesn't quite have the charisma and the character work of someone like Carmelo Hayes. But in ring, he's fantastic, so who knows. Um, but yeah, that was my thoughts on NXT. So now looking into Impact, just a general rest hold was this crowd. They were largely silent. Even though I thought there was some pretty good action at times on this show, and to be fair, it may have been, because I know Impact does um, tapings for multiple shows at a time, so this may be this episode may be the tail end of a taping, and everybody's just exhausted. But man, it, it didn't help some of the matches here. Um, so, for example, Samurai Del Sol made his debut against Chris Sabin about halfway through this show. And the crowd was silent for most of it. The match got 19 minutes. Sabin won with a cradle shock. And I expected the pace to be quicker for Del Sol to get more offense. He got some bursts in. Was in control. Uh, Saban was in control a lot working Del Sol's leg. I thought it was a good match. The crowd heard it though. They didn't seem to care at all. I'm um, sorry, jumping around a little bit. 
PCO started this show out, and that's never a good thing for me. He basically attacked Mahabali Shera and Singh before a match could even start. PCO ends up going through a table with Singh on top of it. Um, then they follow that with a, uh, not a PCO, let me note say, Bully has a video from his hotel room because he's so afraid of PCO. This big bully is afraid of PCO. And then later in a segment, PCO goes to the hotel room looking for Billy, or sorry, for Bully, doesn't find him, is just yelling. And I just don't care about this, and I just don't know who does. Um, and this is how they started the show, and they went back to it in the show later, and I just, it's, it's nothing I want to see and taking up too much time for me. I did like, I thought there was a good knockouts match. It's kind of funny because I've been a little critical in recent weeks of both Jody Threat and Trinity, but I thought this might have been Threat's best match since joining Impact. Uh, high impact offense just seemed to look better this week. And then it was a relatively quick competitive match, kind of like um, Trinity's emergence challenger Perazzo had last week against Kylan King. I thought that match was better, but I thought this threat Trinity match looked pretty good. Uh, and Trinity obviously wins ahead of emergence. She hits like that Bubba Bomb thing, which I don't really, she rolls right into a pinfall. I don't really love that move, but that's what she went with to pin Jody Threat here. I thought Threat looked better than she has in Impact because I want to be a fan of hers because she's a good Canadian girl that I've seen on the indies before. Another high spot, not so much for the content, but because of the, the direction, I guess, is that we got a decent Jake Something pre-recorded promo. Fairly generic, nothing special, but... Just in general, Jake Something is a guy that I thought they should have focused on more the last go-round with Impact. For me personally, I'm like, I like when they develop their own people that I don't, or that most people don't already know from WWE or from AEW or from anywhere else. Um, from the indies, I guess you would say. So he's a guy I think they should focus on. He's going to get a match with Sonata, so that should get him some attention. Um he, he's just basically saying not everybody knows him, but he's 262 pounds of muscle and he'll make a name for himself against Sonata. And I hope he does because I like Jake something and I think he's a really good fit for impact. He's the type of guy that they, in my opinion, should be focusing on. We got a good tag team match on this show and it was ABC. So Chris Bay and Ace Austin taking on the good hands, John Schuyler and, and the other guy who I can't, Jason. Wow. If Jack were here, he would help me out. What's his name? Do I have it written down anywhere else? <laughs> oh my God. Hotch. Yes. Thank you. I got it. I got there. Um, so anyways, on the way to the ring, Skyler cut a pretty classic heel promo. I thought he sounded really good. Just sort of mocking Chicago over and over. Like no wonder Jordan left and never came back. Stuff like that. I thought it was just really, really retro stuff, which the good hands are pretty much. Um, so Pretty good heel tag work by the good hands. They just kind of take every opportunity to stretch the rules and cheat. Just again, they're kind of a throwback team, but with some modern offense. So I kind of, I'm quite interested in them. The good hands controlled Austin for a lot of this, leading to a Bay hot tag. Uh, and that ended up with a flatliner DDT combo to both of the heels at the same time. The good hands hit the favor, which I think is their finisher. But Bay breaks up the pinfall and dropkick Skyler onto the pinfall. Actually, it looked kind of cool. And then, of course, ABC eventually win because you can't have the good hands win anything, really. So they ABC wins with the Art of Finesse into the fold. I like all four of these guys, and I thought this was a well-worked TV match that got a fair amount of time, about 14 minutes. Like, again, longer than the NXT Main Event Championship match, just saying. A good steady pace to this, but there is another gear for both of these teams, I think. Enjoyable Impact TV tag match. And like Jake something, I feel the good hands should be used more. Again, two guys. I don't know them from WWE. I don't know them from AEW. It's like 
impact you found these guys i know they've worked the indies or whatever and they've been all around i'm sure but you can sort of be like these are guys we found and we're presenting and we're not just like resting on their reputation from another company and that's what i prefer and i'm probably not in the majority there but that's why i would i, I like the good hands a rest hold i don't think the decision to have subculture as absentee tag champions is working for me they had a pre-recorded promo this week about touring around and defending these titles and all i know is it hasn't been on impact tv because i forget that these guys are the champs and you almost never see them so i find myself as these tag teams are on impact every week talking about the tag titles i'm like who has them almost always have to remind myself who has them so i don't think that's effective then um anyway subculture will be defending against the rascals and if that means the rascals win and get the titles actually on tv and stuff i would be all for that because i out of sight out of mind for me and i can't be alone in that another high spot in all three parts of this have been for me and that was part three of crazy steve sit down with tom hannafan so this is where he explains he he chose hannafan because hannafan's the best at his job and he wants hannafan to get his message out there and Hannafan's like, I will, I will. So Steve starts out saying he's tired basically of being abandoned and cast aside and being on the receiving end of evil. And then it sort of flips and he's like, maybe he needs to become the plague. And then he just, he trashes the set. He takes some people out. He's like drooling liquid on an employee who's lying on the ground. And he's screaming about being comfortable with evil and being comfortable with violence. Um, and he said he is comfortable with his story being told as long as they include the chapter where they made him. So he's basically saying the commentary, the fans, the other wrestlers have sort of created this Steve that he wasn't actually crazy and violent, but now he has become this, right? I think these segments have been amazing. Make Steve a believable, violent, unhinged character. We heard about um, the fact that he's legally blind, abusive family, uh, mother committing suicide, every faction he's ever been in abandoning him, sort of fans turning on him, etc., etc. So his history combined with how he perceives being treated by the fans and, and other performers in Impact has led to this, right? Where he is now fine. You want Crazy Steve? This is what you're going to get. And this isn't a unique story they're telling in wrestling, right? Like, oh, I hate the fans. I hate the other wrestlers, whatever. But the way they're doing it and with the added details of Steve's life make it really interesting for me. Um, I have loved this build. Now it's just about the follow through. How do they follow through with this new crazy Steve character? Because we know him as like a mid card comedy horror guy. So these promos make it seem like you want to elevate him. And I hope that you do because they've been awesome. But now it's going to be all about the follow through. Sorry, more coffee. Another thing I liked was just because they're cool, man. I don't know what else to say is MK Ultra. They had a pre-recorded promo. Just the vibe of this is cool. This underlying, like, what is the relationship between these two women? Um, I love Masha. They let her speak Russian throughout this. And I guess um, it was Killer Kelly translating sort of thing or saying something similar. The content, again, was fairly generic, right? It's talking about how great they are and what they're going to do to other people. But the presentation is what's awesome. Just really cool lighting, really cool vibe. I hate to use that word because it's kind of indefinable, but that's how it feels. These two are just really cool. 
it's about pain and hypnosis and whatever, whatever. And, and then ending with saying emergence will be their next experiment. So again, super glad they put these two together as a tag team. I think they're awesome singles down the road too, but until then put them together. The main event I thought was solid. It was Brian Myers taking on Chris Sabin. They had a competitive 15 minute match, but the results were never in doubt. And that's where I started thinking about that. And that's one of my biggest problems with impact wrestling is rarely do I not know who's going to win a match. Now you could say, well, that's the same on AEW, WWE to a point, but I'll talk about AEW because what I watch the most, there are matches where I'm not sure who's going to win. Those aren't all the time because obviously wrestling is predetermined and we pretty much know who's being focused on and who isn't. But I find that not knowing who's going to win happens much, much less in impact. Like you're giving me Brian Myers and Chris Saban as the main event. Okay. I know who's going to win. I know who's going to win every match on every show, basically. Now you can make up for that by having really great in-ring action, but it is sometimes nice to be watching a match and not being sure who it's going to win. And I think that's something that Impact Wrestling's not very good at, and it sort of leads to a bit of frustration. But anyways, um, overall, not a bad Impact show. And yeah, and I think because Jack is not here to talk about anything else, that might re make us, sorry, take us to the end of this episode of 162. So again, the Good Gold Days has started sort of our side project, which we will get to whenever we get to it. We don't have a set schedule. We just kind of, when we have time and have time to watch and discuss it, we'll do that. But you know we'll always be here on Saturdays. We've been here on Saturdays for 162 episodes. Jack will be back in the studio next week to update us on whatever he found at Fan Expo in Toronto after four days of roaming the city with his buddies. Uh, I'll be back here to sort of do what I always do. I don't know. Hopefully, we'll get another good gold days out for you to check out. Again, if you want to see us on video, we exist on video now, as scary as that is for us. So go check us out. Leave a comment. Ask a question. We'd love to hear from anyone. We'll always get back to you. And I guess that's going to do it. I'll be back here with my co-host next week for episode 163. And until then, everybody, take care.